Yeah, that sounds fantastic. Can you hear me okay? Yep. All right, great. Well, uh, good. Good morning. We are going to be looking uh, at the coming of the wise men, the visit of the wise men from Matthew chapter 2. If you have a Bible and you want to read with me, Matthew chapter 2, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, um, starting in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, uh, Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea. Uh, for so it is written in the prophet, this is verse 6, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, you, uh, for from you shall come a ruler who will, be shepherd, who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise man secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may, worship, may come and worship him. And after listening to the king, they went on their way. Uh, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with, with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. But you can see here, this is a, a nativity, nativity set that we have uh, as part of our Christmas decorations we have a few of these uh, kind of nativity uh, scenes that are in uh, our uh, house sometimes you know they'll just be the three characters sometimes it's just mary joseph and the baby jesus uh, other times it's a bigger uh, kind of cast we have a great set that we love that came from singapore that uh, has a, the, all of all the characters are sort of chinese themed and 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 so they always have the different animals and uh uh, things going on uh, in the scene. And while it's a familiar scene, while it's a scene that we uh, typically see this time of year, uh, I don't think really from the scripture that we can feel like it's, it's completely, uh, maybe not completely accurate, right? We, we, uh, we don't really have any, any reason to believe we know how many uh, of these wise men came or how many kings, right? We sing, we three kings of Orient are, and we just, we, uh, we tend to just think of, three people coming, but we don't, we don't know how many people came according to the scripture. We just know that the people who came brought three gifts. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. Another interesting thing I think about this as we uh, kind of get started is that Matthew says that they went uh, into the house. They went into the house. Let me see which verse that was. When they saw the star, they rose and were going, going into the house. Is in verse 11. They went uh, into the house. And so I think it's probably not the stable. It's probably not the end that they are, or yeah, the, the stable where Jesus had originally been born. I think they probably had 
um, moved on at some point. Matthew even says that when they saw the child, right? I don't think he was maybe even a baby at this time. And then finally this, when we, when we look at later on in this chapter, Herod, when he kills the children to try to get uh, Jesus, he kills all the children uh, age two and below. And so maybe Jesus is a little bit older. Maybe this is not exactly in the, in the manger kind of stable scene like we're used to seeing. Um, maybe it was not uh, while he was just still uh, in swaddling cloths lying there uh, in the manger. But when we think about those things, I would, I would ask this. Did those kind of details really matter to the story? And I don't think that they do matter. I think the wise men really came. I think they really brought gifts. I think they uh, really had an interaction with Joseph. I think they really met Jesus. And I think we can see some important things, whether that happened a few days after Jesus was born or a few weeks or a, four, a few months even. I think it's possible the timing is, is not as critical, but we still have some incredible lessons that we can pull uh, out of this text for today. Three that I want to focus on. The first one is God's plan was always bigger than just Israel. We see that in Christmas. God's plan was always bigger than just Israel. The second one is this. Jesus fulfilled prophecies about the coming Messiah. We believe Jesus was the promised one because he filled pro fulfilled prophecies about the Messiah. And then the third thing, Jesus receives uh, gifts that are fit for a king. And that's important. We're going to talk about why it's important in, uh, in, just a few, in just a few minutes. So let's pray together and then uh, we'll dig into these three points, okay? Father, we do thank you for uh, the beauty of this Christmas story. We thank you that, um, we thank you that Jesus came and uh, was born there uh, in, in, that, uh, in that stable and that there was no room for them, Lord, that, uh, that uh, in our poverty, that we know that Jesus can really uh, understand that kind of uh, lifestyle. And we thank you that, uh, Lord, while he was uh, really humble in his birth, that uh, as we sang in the song earlier, he rules the world with truth and grace. And, and every time I hear that particular Christmas hymn, Lord, I'm just taken right back to uh, standing in a parking garage in a mall there in JB, and I'm just listening and thinking, he rules the world. Jesus really does rule the world. Though most of the people around me don't realize it, Jesus is ruling this world. And so we thank you for coming as a baby. We thank you for living a sinless life. We thank you for dying on the cross for us, for being buried and raised again so that we might have life. And Lord, we just, we rejoice at this time of year. It means so much to us that you came uh, that you came to be the answer for our sin. And so we pray, Lord, as we look at this text, uh, these next few minutes, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and I pray that you would uh, show us how we can be obedient. We're not just hearing these words, but really being changed by uh, the scriptures that we uh, interact with. And so we pray you bless our time. And I ask, Lord, would you keep me from error? And I pray that you would speak to our hearts and help us, Lord, to be uh, open and teachable, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So here's the first one. God's plan was always for this to be bigger than just Israel. It was from the very beginning. We, we All the way back to uh, Genesis, we see that God has the whole world on his heart. This is from uh, Genesis chapter 12. It's verse 2 and 3. Genesis 12, 2 and 3. And it says, I will make you a great nation. God's talking to Abram. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you 
and and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And, and this is the great part. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This theme of God caring about all kinds of people, not just one particular nation, it's we see it throughout the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's in the New Testament. For example, we see it here, too, in uh, Isaiah 56, verse 8. Isaiah 56, verse 8 says, For the sovereign Lord... For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel said, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. And in the New Testament, in John chapter 10, he says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. And so we have this picture that it's not just God speaking to uh, religious Jews, this is God giving a sign. And then these astrologers who are probably from Persia, they, they see this and they're on the move. And the fact that God spoke to people who were not currently following him and the religious people missed it is completely in line. It makes complete sense with what has been happening all throughout the whole testimony of scripture. Because the Messiah, we hear in Luke, the Messiah is good news of great joy for all the people. God certainly starts with Israel, and, and Jesus is, is important in the history of Israel, and Israel's important with the history of all this uh, as well. <coughs> but we have to see that this really is, Christmas really is, Jesus is for the whole world, not just for Israel. This, this is good news for everyone. In a commentary uh, that I have on Matthew, there's a writer named Craig Blomberg. And Craig Blomberg says this, the wise men come and they speak to Herod and they say, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Because Herod was currently the king, but Herod had been appointed king by Rome. He wasn't the rightful king. He wasn't born king like Jesus was. He was appointed king. And so when uh, the wise men come and meet Herod, he gets upset. This is incredibly uh, frightening because Herod was a horrible man. He was a horrible man. At one point, he felt threatened and he had his own children and his wife murdered. This is not the kind of guy that you want to go around getting upset. So when Herod gets upset, all of Jerusalem gets upset with him. They're all worried when he gets upset because he's crazy. So the, he was half Jewish. He's half Jewish. And so he was sort of acceptable as a leader to both Rome and to the, and to the people there in Israel. But he's not a good enough Jew to know where the Messiah is supposed to be born. When the, when the men come and say, where's this one who's been born king of the Jews? Herod has to bring other people in. And he has to say, where's the one who's going to be born king of the Jews? Where is this Messiah supposed to be born? And so we have this leadership picture who did not understand what God's plan was well enough to know where the Messiah was supposed to be born. And then we also have these religious leaders come into the picture and they don't understand their own belief system enough to know we have to protect the Messiah at all costs. Instead, they just tell this murderous king where the Messiah is supposed to be born. We have political leaders and we have religious leaders and neither side was doing the job that God had called them to do. They had thrown off their responsibility. The people who were supposed to lead 
we're not leading the way that they should. And so God takes a star and puts it in the sky and he calls people who don't even know him to come and to worship this newborn king. This was always, always bigger than just Israel. Here's the second thing. God's, uh, God's, there it is, that God's plan was for Jesus to fulfill these, uh, these prophecies about the Messiah. Sometimes you'll hear writers and, and uh, people who will try to say, Jesus, what he did, he was, well, he was steeped in the Hebrew Bible. He knew all about Judaism. And so he set out to try to fulfill as many prophecies as he could. I, I guess that's possible that a person would say, uh, if I want to pretend to be the Messiah, then I need to fulfill some of these things. But it's a pretty big stretch to say that this baby would have any control over where he was born. The Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. And so through that amazing people-moving census that we read about in Scripture, Jesus was taken to Bethlehem, and he was born in Bethlehem. We see lots of other prophecies that are fulfilled in these birth stories as well, but th this one's really specific. He had to be born in Bethlehem. One other important part that we see from this prophecy in Micah is that the, that, that the Messiah was going to be a shepherd to God's people. That's in verse 6. He's going he's gonna to come. He's going to be a ruler, and he will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, a person can try to fulfill a lot of different kinds of prophecies, but the, the challenge about that normally is that a person wants to be the leader so that they can be powerful. But if you're going to be a shepherd, that means you set yourself to protecting. That means you set yourself to providing. That means you set yourself to uh, sacrificing. And that's the kind of stuff that Jesus does. Herod's not protecting and sacrificing and providing for people. Herod is taking care of himself. And until this very day, we see that rulers tend to take care of themselves. They take care of themselves. They take care of them, their own family. They take care of the people that are close to them. But Jesus wasn't that kind of ruler at all. He was a shepherd who came and ultimately gave his life for his flock. He put his people's safety above his own safety. He fulfilled all these different prophecies about the Messiah. It's an important picture of, uh, of who he was that Mark and Matthew and Luke or Matthew here, that uh, Matthew is able to pull these prophecies out of Micah and then just talk about how Jesus fulfilled those. Then the third, third, third point I really want to have us focus on is this. Jesus received gifts that were fit for a king. There are a few times in scripture where uh, human beings accept some sort of uh, worship, and this always goes poorly. In Acts chapter 12, uh, you know, they have this, the king stands up and the people are saying, oh, he speaks and they say, oh, the voice of a God and not the voice of a man. What an incredible, oh, this, he's fantastic. And he just receives all of that accolade. And the scripture says he just falls down dead it just bursts open this guy is uh he's taking something that does not belong to him when people are uh when people are trying to worship and he receives it then he dies or we see other times when someone tries to worship and the person who's receiving the worship 
immediately they like they they push that away they reject it this happens in acts chapter 13 paul and barnabas they arrive in this town and they say oh this is incredible to do a miracle these this is this is uh this is zeus and uh, hermes i think but they start they say we want to sacrifice and paul says wait 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 put away these worthless things do not worship people and he points them to the true and living god even in Revelation chapter 22, there's a place where an angel appears and uh, the writer of Revelation falls down on his face. And the angel says, don't do that. Don't do that. Get up, get up. I'm just a servant just like you. And so these men come and they immediately, they immediately understand that Jesus is a king and they offer him gifts that are fit for a king. These are the kind of gifts that, normally only royalty would be uh, receiving. They bow down and they worship Jesus. And here's what we see. Joseph and Mary don't say, don't, 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 don't. Get up, get up, get up. Don't try to worship this baby. Joseph and Mary don't try to stop them because Joseph and Mary have been getting instruction from angels about what this baby is going to be like. So when these men bow down and worship, the parents understand, yeah, this is pretty fitting. They don't reject that adulation. And Joseph and Mary are not punished for allowing that to happen. And, uh, and the men are not punished for behaving in such a way either. We think about Jesus and his family. They, they bring this gold and they bring the frankincense and they bring the myrrh. One thing that's really important for us is to remember is how simple these people were. This is uh, from Luke chapter two, when Jesus is uh, dedicated in the temple. So eight days after he's born, it says, when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord because every firstborn male belongs to the Lord, right? So they have to come and they have to offer a sacrifice according to what the what's said in the law of the Lord. They have to bring a pair of turtle doves, or they did bring a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, right? So they bring they bring these two birds as their sacrifice for uh, for their firstborn. But look at what it says in Leviticus. It says, if the mother cannot afford a lamb, then she should bring two turtle doves or two pigeons for a burnt offering. So this is a family that brings its two birds when, they, uh, when they're presenting Jesus in the temple. They bring two birds because they can't afford a lamb. These are not people of means. These are people who are simple. They're just, they're just poor people like many of us. Joseph and Mary offered a pair of doves and uh, the Lord accepted that. And then the wise men come and they're laying down gifts that are meant for Royalty. They're giving probably to Joseph and Mary things that are more valuable than everything they own combined. This is a pretty big day in the life of this family. And these wise men come giving gifts that are reserved for a king, not because of what they could see, right? Whether he's in the stable and laying in a manger or they're back home in their uh, own meager little house, wherever they are at this time, then uh, the wise men don't look on this scene and say, this person is obviously important and respond with gifts 
that uh, that person deserves. Instead, what what they do doesn't doesn't reflect what they can see. What they give reflects what they believe, what they believe about who Jesus is. So let's think about how we can uh, apply this. Like what 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 do these kind of things mean to us? I would say first this. We need to cast our net as wide as we can when we share Christ with the people that are around us. Why I say that is because I believe that God's plan was always bigger than Israel. And I believe that these days it's bigger than just the church. It's really easy for us to look down and say, oh man, those religious leaders, they didn't protect the Messiah. They didn't do the right thing. Herod, he didn't do the right thing. Uh, this uh, apostle or that person in the scripture, they didn't do the things that they were supposed to do. It's easy for us to look down on these first century Jews and think that we would not have missed the signs if we were alive. But the truth is we, we probably would have. We at least have to entertain it. Would I have missed the signs if I were alive in those days? Aren't we just as likely to fall into routines and expectations and prejudices and miss out on things that God is doing right in our midst? It would be wonderful to think only crazy people like Herod resorted to violence when their position was threatened, but we've seen all throughout history, when you push people about what they believe, they can respond in some pretty uh, irresponsible ways. And so if we allow ourselves to be convinced that God won't work in certain ways or that he won't work in certain kinds of people, then we are no better than the scribes and the Pharisees, the chief priests that we see in these stories. God wants, uh, God wants to be at work saving people, and sometimes that means he will save people that we cannot imagine that he will save. He wants to work in some people and raise them up as leaders and when we would look in from the outside, we would say, there's a no way that that person could be used as a leader. You might even look at your own life and God might have a plan to use you as a leader in his church. And if you were to stop and think about it, you would say, there's no way that God can use me. Not after what I've been through and where I've, uh, the kind of things that I've done and what my past is like. God can't use a person like me. And I'm saying, to obey a, a text like this, a story like this, we need to cast our net wide. We need to understand God's going to use people that we don't expect, even when it's us. God's going to save people that we don't expect. God's going to do some incredible things. Second thing is this. If Jesus is your king, then that will be displayed in your life. So, the wise men were responding to this king that was born and they came and brought gifts. So they believed something and they acted on that belief. So Jesus is either your king or he's not your king. You'll either act on these things or you won't act on these things. And sometimes the rules seem a little bit tough. They seem like things that we don't really want to obey. But if Jesus is the king, then Jesus gets to be the one who makes the rules. There are times he requires things of us that we would really rather not give. Maybe we'll be challenged to believe some things that we've never believed before. But the truth is, Jesus gets to make those decisions. 
right? Well, sometimes I'm, I just can I can be in the scripture and I think that's not what my parents thought. It's not what my grandparents thought. It's not, not, it's not what my pastor taught me. It's, I, this does not make sense. And I, and I fight and I struggle and I, in my mind, we just have to sometimes be uh, open to the fact that maybe we have to change some things that we believe. Jesus gets to push us in those things. Uh, how we uh, parent, what our family dynamics look like, what our how our marriage works, and uh, what do we do with our uh, integrity at work? Right when people are just saying, "Hey, just I need you to falsify this report. Just put just put the number in." I'm telling you, just put the number in there. It doesn't matter. Just fix it. And you know in your heart, if I put the number in that box, I'm telling a lie. So your integrity at work matters. Where your money goes and how you treat people, right? If you live in a neighborhood with, a, uh, with security guards or if you have a house helper, if you have people that are uh, maybe gardeners and doing these different kinds of things, how you treat people matters. If Jesus is your king, that, that kind of thing is important. Then the third thing I want to say is this. Jesus was born to be your shepherd and your savior. He calls you to come to him. He doesn't force you, right? The difference between those two options is faith. He's calling and we get to respond. When someone, when you're forcing people to do things, there's, there's no response of faith there. Maybe obedience, but not faith. This idea that Jesus was born to be your shepherd and your savior, this is what makes Christmas to be really great news. This is true for all kinds of people. Even if, you, if you're coming from a, a non-Christian background, right? Your parents or grandparents, your people for generations have not been Christians. Christmas is still good news for you. If you're watching this later online somewhere and you're saying, uh, my family was a Christian family, but oh, there was so much stuff about it. I hate it. And I just walked away from the church and I don't read my Bible and I don't have any interest. I'm telling you, Christmas is good news for you because Jesus came to be your shepherd and he came to be your savior. I can come to Christmas and I can realize this. I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I needed someone to come and save me. And so Jesus came. He was born as a baby. He lived an entire life without sinning. He died on the cross to pay for our sins. He was buried. He was raised again on the third day so that we could have new life. I believe that everyone who confesses with their mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes they got to raise him from the dead, that they will be saved. If you made it this far, right, then I can confidently say this. I can confidently say this. Just like a star rising up for these guys to travel, there's a sign for you. And the sign is this. Jesus wants to be your savior. He loves you, and he wants to be in a relationship with you. So, However you've been journeying, whatever you've been thinking, and how have you been uh, interacting with these things, we want to be able to talk about that, right? And if you're in the church, then you have Bible studies, and you have people that you have some relationships with, and that you're connected with, people in your families, or in the WhatsApp group, that you can say, pray for me, or what about this? And you can ask questions, and we can grow together in our faith. If you're watching online, and you're, you're following along, uh, maybe later on, who knows how far in the future you might be watching this. Please write to us. We would love to talk to you about these things. That's our, our email, ibcbukitinda at gmail.com, ibcbukitinda at gmail.com, or you can 
go on Facebook and find us, IBC Book at Inda. IBC Book at Inda on Facebook and, and you can send us a message and we would love to, we'd love to chat with you and talk about these things. He rules the world with truth and grace and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. It's joyful, right? What an incredible time. And it's been sweet. It's been sweet to be able to uh, worship and hear you singing and have uh, the youth up there leading and uh, have live music. And I know it's just been, um, it's been tough. It's been really tough this year. And so uh, rejoice, rejoice in this time, right? We have a moment to focus on some really good things. And so uh, while it's always challenging when you don't have uh, all the people that you want at Christmas time, you're not maybe in the location that you'd like to be at, at uh, Christmas time. I know many of our Filipino sisters are uh, far away from their kids and their families, and uh, others are just not able to travel because of a coronavirus. But there are good things, and so find those good things and and uh, rejoice in those good things and celebrate during this time. Christmas is good news, a great joy for all the people, because Jesus came for us. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for uh, Christmas and the time that we can uh, come together. And uh, much like the wise men, we can give gifts to one another and we can celebrate that uh, light has dawned on a dark world. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to uh, not just go through songs and stories that uh, many of us have heard hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, Lord, let us not be hardened or immune to the beauty of these incredible stories, that, that you took these people who didn't know you, and you gave them a sign. You gave them a burning desire in their heart to move towards you, uh, even when they didn't know exactly what that was. And so we pray that you would be drawing people to yourself uh, even these days. I pray that you would be drawing me and that you'd draw my family, that you'd be at work uh, in us here. And we pray that you would bless and move in the church there in Bukitina as well. And Lord, we love you. We thank you for uh, Christmas and this time to celebrate. We look forward to what you're going to do in 2021. And God, we thank you for uh, your goodness and your grace and your mercy that's new for us every day. We pray that you would just bless the lunch, Lord, as they all get together. Some of my favorite memories of uh, IBCBI are some of these Christmas lunches. And so God, give them a great time as they uh, lunch and celebrate together today. We just look forward to uh, the day that you'll have us all together, worshiping and rejoicing. Uh, Father, we count on that because we know who you are and uh, we know that you make promises that you do not break. And so we look forward to that day. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.